Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. I am Chris Rawl. We are not even done with the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I am running on fumes. I promise you I will not make it to the end of June, so enjoy these episodes while they last. Today very well could be the last one. Hopefully we make it a few more weeks as the Avalanche continue to win and the NBA playoffs continue through the second round and the third round and on to the NBA Finals, but no promises here. If I don't make it, I don't make it. As an honorary way of saying, Chris, I appreciate your life while it existed before the NHL playoffs ended it. You know what you need to do? You need to go and sign up for my free newsletter. It's very easy. You can go to chrisrawl.com and click the subscribe button. Put your email into that and every Wednesday morning you will get, as long as I am alive, a nice little 500 or so word newsletter about sports and just kind of themes that tie into this show. So go and do that as a final way of saying thank you for being alive and talking in a very strange and irregular manner about the world of sports. And now we are going to get on to today's episode where I talk about the margins, my favorite topic, and two very unsexy topics which are really rearing their heads in the playoffs, injuries and referees. The playoffs are where legacies are defined. Hate it or love it, that is true. It's the time of the year that we look and say, regular season, that's cool, but we are really going to cast judgment and gain clear insight into a player and a team now when it's playoff time and the stakes are raised and the intensity is raised and coaching staffs are locked in and you're playing the very best competition. This is when it's just fun to watch and this is when you really get a clear, clear window into who and what a player is. Now, also, the playoffs are where the margins are the tiniest because of all those things I just said. People are trying harder. The teams are just better. It's the best competition. It's coaching staffs locked in in a way that they just cannot be in the day-to-day grind of an 82-game regular season in basketball and in hockey. Now, because the margins are so tiny within the framework of the playoffs, the difference between an incredible swing in narrative for a player or for a team can be virtually nothing. One of the examples I love, love, love using because it's everything that I think about sports rolled into one particular moment, is last year in the Eastern Conference semifinals, Brooklyn Nets against the Milwaukee Bucks. At the time, the Bucks, no championships to their name. Giannis Antetokounmpo, he's got some regular season MVPs. A lot of people are sitting there thinking, I don't know if this is a true playoff performer. I don't know if when the coaching staff's locked in and the stakes are raised and everybody's trying on defense, if his style of basketball is going to stay afloat. We know it can still be good, but is it going to be like what LeBron can do in the playoffs or what MJ can do in the playoffs or these players in the past that we've seen perform consistently at a really high level over years and years and years within the playoffs? Those questions existed last year. They go down 2-0 and then an injury occurs. Kyrie Irving is out for the rest of that series. Okay. Oh, James Harden, his hamstring pops, and now he's hobbled. He's coming back in game five, but he's not the same. Okay, well, even still, Milwaukee blows a heartbreaker of a game five on the road. It's a 2-2 series. Looks like they should win it. They lose, and going out of that game, I vividly remember just thinking, uh, there's, there's something flawed about this team. I don't think it's necessarily Giannis, but I thought a lot of the things around him. I go, Chris Middleton, I don't know, take him or leave him. Drew Holiday, how did they trade a bunch of picks for this guy? Mike Budenholzer is a coach. I just don't see it. 
I don't see that he's making the correct adjustments. I feel like he's continually getting out coached. I continually feel like he's really rigid in what he wants to do, and he's unwilling to bend and be more elastic in a way that the playoffs demand. I thought all of these things. So they win game six at home, go back to game seven, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Comes down to the end of regulation. And the Brooklyn Nets are down two. And Kevin Durant shoots what looks like is a three that goes in right at the buzzer. And we're thinking, wow, that's an all-time moment. The Nets are moving on, and instead it goes to review. And Kevin Durant, who wears a shoe size of 18, barely on the line. If he's wearing a size 15, I think about it all the time. What are we saying about the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo? Because I'm very confident that at the very least, there are coaching changes made to that team if Kevin Durant wears a size 15 shoe. And going into this year's playoffs, all of those questions that existed, some of which I had in my mind, again, not necessarily tied into Giannis, but almost everything around him, those are amplified. And so now we would be sitting here with them playing against Boston going, huh, I don't know. I just, this team has a lot of notable playoff failures and they flamed out when it's mattered the most. And look at these, look at how they just biffed themselves against the heat a couple years ago. And look at, remember last year against the Nets, they didn't even have... Kyrie and they barely had James Harden. I mean, what are we talking about here? Can this team win? That's the kind of narrative swing that can exist on just this little tiny sliver of a moment, sliver of a shoe in this case. And I bring this up because, hey, I think it's important to point out. I think it helps maybe approach the the talk of legacy in a more level-headed manner. But I also bring it up because I want to say I am not immune to being influenced by this stuff. And I am the one who is paying attention to it day in, day out. Everything that happens in a game, it's always clicking and going, oh, that's a crazy margin play. And if that game ends up being won by Team X, this is going to be a huge moment that we'll all just forget about. And then I make a note of it and I say, I'm going to talk about that on my show. And it just goes on and on and on. I can pick stuff from every single game. So I'm recording today's show before Monday night's games are being played. So I'm not going to comment on a bevy of game fours that are taking place tonight. Basketball, we have Buck Celtics, Grizzlies, Golden State, really important game fours in those series. Um, and then we have four hockey games, Avalanche, Nashville, Panthers, Washington, a really incredible series so far, Penguins, Rangers, and Calgary, Dallas. All of those series, except for the Colorado series, we're going to have five other games that are 2-1 series, an incredible night of really good game fours. So this is a good point to just, we have a, a round and change of the NBA playoffs. We're halfway or so through the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I think it's a good time to talk margins. And last week I spoke on Friday's show about the players themselves, which is always the most interesting part of the playoffs. That's why I watch. That's why you watch, because we can watch high level performances from these really incredibly gifted athletes that when you take them bit by bit, they comprise a legacy. You know, young up and comers were going, I don't know what they're going to turn into, but you watch a game with Luka Doncic or John Morant game two against Golden State or what Jason Tatum was doing in the Nets series. And then he's struggling game three of this series. And you're going, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Or the more established people, Giannis is now building on that legacy that started to flourish last year. And now we're watching him and he's somehow piece by piece solving this Celtics defense that seems unsolvable. He's just a battering ram 
and his ceiling looks like it's raising by the day. And I'm going, man, by the time his career's done, he's going to be an all-time great. Curry kind of doing the same thing, just building bit by bit upon a really established, solidified legacy that has been going on for years. That kind of stuff's awesome. I love it. It's the majority of what I will be talking about on this show, rather than what today's episode is going to be, which is the less sexy side of the playoffs. But I'll also make note of one of the players I mentioned on Friday was Kel McCarr, defenseman for the Colorado Avalanche, who is, he's in the ascension. I mean, actually he's ascended, but he's still on the ascension, which is weird because I'm pretty sure he's ascended to being the best defenseman in hockey. And it doesn't look like he's plateauing or coming down at any point. He's just skyrocketing to the moon. And, and I'm really not sure what to make of what I'm watching with Kel McCarr because I watched them play Nashville in game two. Really tight, hard-fought game that I'll talk a little bit more about later, but the thing that stood out in the game was Kel McCarr playing a game that I don't think this is hyperbole to say. I've, I've never watched a defenseman play a better game. He's everywhere on all sides of the ice, on all situations, penalty kill, power play, five on five. He's making plays in the defensive zone. He's attempting 21 shots, 21 shots. I'm not talking about a team. I'm talking about one individual player who is also defenseman. He's putting 11 of those on goal. He's scoring the game-winning goal in overtime. He's somehow breaking out and getting a two-on-one when he is on the penalty kill on a five-on-three. Just insane stuff. His edge work at the blue line, he's turning people into dust. He's juking and driving left and right. And, and then it's just things that I really don't ever see in hockey. Stuff that I've talked about in the past with Makar, but you see it in the playoffs and it just, it registers on another level. The goal that he scores in game one, which in a roundabout way reminded me of his all-time overtime winner against Chicago in the regular season. That was probably the highlight of the regular season for any player. And it's a similar move down the left side wall where he jukes the blue line and just crosses over an opponent, which is weird because it's hockey and crossovers don't exist, but somehow they do with Kale McCarr. And then he stick handles through two more people and he chips it over David Ridge's shoulder. And I'm going, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen this. Oh wait, yes, I have one other time. It was from the same player against Chicago in overtime. <laughs> well, this is the high level stuff that the playoffs bring out of really talented people. Again, that was the basis of Friday's show. We're seeing more of it. I recorded that before game two against Nashville and then it happened and I was just like, um, huh. Well, that was a good time to talk about Kel McCarr, but somehow he one-upped what I had already been talking about. That's the good stuff of the playoffs. And that's the margin sometimes. Your star is better than another star. The Avalanche, they're much more talented than Nashville, but an Avalanche fan like myself is hoping when we get into a different series and we're playing a team with similar talent level, that maybe the margins in that series can just be, you know what? Kel McCarr is the best player on the ice in this series in a series that has a lot of talent on both sides. Sometimes that's what it is. That's the legacy-defining stuff. And sometimes it can be other things. Uh, and today, that's what I'm going to talk about. Two of the unsexiest topics that comprise a whole lot of the margins. Two things that hold a great amount of sway on the legacy of a player or team, which is really insane. That's why I want to bring it up and talk about it. Two things, injuries and referees. Now, I don't want to talk about these because let's just let's do the sour grapes thing where I'm so mad that my team doesn't have this or this call went this way. I bring this up to show every team in the playoffs will have gripes about both of these things. Every team will always have injuries. Every team will always feel grieved by the refs and actually will always have a case. 
because that's just the nature of how both of those things work. Injuries, well, sports are really physical, <laughs> especially sport like uh, hockey or, or football or even basketball. These are just really physical sports. And when you get to the playoffs and the intensity rockets up, well, it's fair to assume that within these really physical sports, you're going to have injuries, probably even more so. And who is injured and at what time can mean everything in a playoff push? As a Green Bay Packers fan, I really just look with a lot of chagrin over the last two playoffs and go, what could have been if David Bakhtiari, one of, if not the best left tackles in football, could have been available to play both of those playoff games? He tore his ACL two seasons ago, right at the end of the regular season against the Tennessee Titans. He was not available to play against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when their pass rush just caved in Green Bay's line and won the game. He tried to come back in the final week of the regular season last year and played a couple snaps against the Lions and then for whatever reason was not ready to go against the Niners and their pass rush caved in the Packers offensive line. They pressured Aaron Rodgers at a higher rate than any team did during the entire season and that was the story of that game alongside Green Bay special teams flaming out. Those are the margins. Sometimes your team does bad stuff, Green Bay special teams, and other times you just go, what could have been if this injury hadn't happened at this time? Now, again, it's not to say that nobody has these. I'm sure you go to a Bucks fan, and if they had lost that game, they'd say, well, here, injuries X, Y, and Z, and that's why we got screwed out of this. And last year with the Niners, I'm sure a Niner fan could go, well, if we had this person and this person or this person wasn't playing injured, we could have stood a better chance of beating Green Bay. This is just how it works. Game three, Colorado-Nashville, is actually why I started thinking about injuries in particular. Because, again, it was very clear that Colorado's the better team at the time. They jump out 2-0 in the first period of Game 3. They're already up 2-0 in the series after McCarr's winner in Game 2. And I'm getting ready to just kick up and say, all right, we can put this series on ice and let's just not get injured. I literally thought that to myself because I'm a dumbass. And as soon as that happens, Ryan Johansson is standing in front of Darcy Kemper, the avalanche goaltender, and he moves and his stick somehow gets pushed through the eye hole of his goalie mask, a thing I did not know could exist, which now I found out certain masks, some goaltenders want it that big because they like having the actual vision for their periphery to be just a little, little, little bit larger. Now, the downside of having that, and you can only do this in the NHL, they will not allow you in younger leagues because they don't want a stick blade to go through. Downside is that once every nine gazillion times, a stick will go through there and jam it into your eye. So that happens, and... Darcy Kemper's skating around and his helmet pops off and he's holding his eye and freaking out. Obviously, I would be freaking out. And my heart is stopping because I'm seeing Colorado's playoff life flash before their very eyes. I'm going, no, this is literally the one person that we cannot afford to lose. Our starting goaltender, who has been awesome this whole season. I don't think we can win four rounds with Pavel Francos, the backup playing. I saw the same story two years ago when Philip Grubauer got injured against the Stars. And then Pavel Francos came in and he got injured and it led to Colorado playing Michael Hutchinson, their third string goaltender, who they'd picked up off waivers from Toronto in game seven of that series and losing in overtime. Not a good, not a good thing. Not a good feeling. Now, luckily, Darcy Kemper, after the game, they go, OK, it didn't hit the eye itself. His eye is swollen up. It gashed it. He might not be able to play game four. We'll see tonight. You'll know by the time you listen to this. But the main point is he will be back at some point. So I take a huge deep breath and I go, okay, all right, okay. Crisis averted for now, but you never know when an injury is going to strike at the worst possible time. On the other side of the series, I mean, the Nashville Predators were dead before the series began because of an injury in their own. They're probably going to lose either way. The Avalanche are much more talented, but UC Saros, he's one of the best goaltenders in hockey. 
And he has a high ankle sprain with a couple games to go in the regular season. And now he has not been playing in this series. Maybe things could have gone a little differently. Maybe the series is 2-1 going into game four or something along those lines. Injury at the wrong time, Nashville season, done. Now, hockey is such a physical sport that it really cannot be stressed enough. And because of that, it's impossible to avoid these injuries. So the question at that point becomes, okay, we know we will have injuries. Who are they to? And how do we weather them? Can we weather them? All these series that I've been watching, they have them. Just the games that I'm watching on Sunday, I'm going, okay, Bruins, Canes, we're tied at two. This has been a weird series. I can't make any sense of who is better than who. Carolina bonks them in the first two games. Boston bonks them in the second two games. But from an injury perspective, I'm going, hmm, pretty crazy in game four that Bruins win going away. And right before the game, they announced Charlie McAvoy's out with COVID protocol, which I didn't even know still existed. Uh, That's a blow of bad luck to one of the very best defensemen in hockey, and even worse for the Bruins because their second best defenseman, Hampus Lindholm, who they acquired at the trade deadline, took a check from Andrei Andre Svechnikov that uh, just literally knocked him out, and he's been out for the series since then. So now they're down their two best defensemen, and they find a way to win in game four. Brad Marchand's five points helps. On the other side, Carolina's going, well, that's cool. They're down their two defensemen, but at one point in the series, we were down our top two goaltenders. Frederick Anderson gets injured right at the end of the regular season. And Peter Brazic gets injured, or sorry, Antti Ranta gets injured at some point uh, at the start of the series. And next thing you know, in game two, they're skating out a third string goaltender who doesn't even speak English. He's coming over to the bench to try and communicate. He's got a problem with his skate blade. And the bench is going, what? And so they have to call over Andrei Svechnikov, who in addition to laying just bone crushing body checks is now translating Russian into English for his coaching staff. And they're going, oh, okay, cool. Uh, This is what we're talking about in this series. So the question moving forward in this particular series, again, it's 2-2. Game five is being played on Tuesday night. It's just going to be, okay, how can you weather the storm? And one of these teams is going to be leaving the series as a loser, pointing at those things and going, man, this was just kind of wrong place, wrong time for us from an injury perspective. Rangers-Penguins, again, tight series. It's 2-1 going into a game that will have been played by the time you listen to this. But the Penguins goaltender situation mirrors what is happening in Carolina. Kristen Jari gets entered right at the end of the regular season. Okay, they have a really good backup, Casey DeSmith, and he's doing great. And then they're in a triple overtime game right at the start of the series. And he just, he says he has to leave in the second overtime, right out of the blue. So now Louis Domingue comes in, their third string goaltender, in the middle of a second overtime playoff game and makes a bunch of saves. They end up winning in the third overtime. They're talking to King Louis at the end and he's going, yeah, I didn't think I was going to even come in. I ate a bunch of broccoli and spicy pork at intermission. (laughs) Broccoli and pork, man. This is what the playoffs can come down to sometimes. He's out there going toe-to-toe with Igor Shosturkin, who's going to win the Vezina Trophy as the best goaltender in hockey. Sometimes this is what a series like this can be decided by. Blues and Wild. I watched that on Sunday. Again, very bizarre series, much like Bruins and Canes. The series is tied at 2-2. It's been four blowouts, two for each side. And who knows what's going to happen. I'm kind of at a loss for almost what's going to happen in every series except for the Avalanche series. But in this one, I'm going, this is kind of crazy that... The Blues are winning game four despite being down three of their top six defensemen. Tory Krug's out, Robert Bertuzzo's out, Nicoletti's out. I mean, how do you weather that storm? But they somehow find a way. They end up losing this series. They're going to look back and say, eh, we really could have used half of our defense court at some point. <laughs> or the Capitals, they're leading Florida and they've been down Tom Wilson, who plays on their top line since game one. Again, I could go on and on for every single team. Um, I'll cap it off, but I, I want everybody to understand that whenever you lose, there are always going to be bits and pieces of your team that either were not there or were playing in a diminished capacity that you can point to and say, 
it sucks that now we have a really solid opinion about Team X or Player X because they lost. And sometimes it's as simple as just saying, ah, we were down to our third string goaltender and they could not hold off in a manner that even a second stringer could, much less our very best first string goaltender. I promise you, I want to stress this. Every fan of a team still left in the playoffs could give you a list of people who are out with injuries, people on their team who are playing injured, and how that's going to be the ultimate demise of their team. And for all but one of these teams, it will be. And after a few years, it'll just be lost. And the stuff that we'll retain is, hmm, this team and this player lost. And if that piles up over the years, uh, we're going to hold a pretty negative opinion about this team or this player. It's the same in the NBA. I thought last year's NBA playoffs would be hard to replicate from an injury and a COVID perspective because those two themes seemed so just uh, like an aberration relative to other years that just didn't think we could repeat the level of players that were going down and how that would impact the playoffs. And that, and yet uh, here we are. <laughs> every team that's still left alive as of this recording, every team has had to weather legitimate injury stuff. Every team, the Phoenix Dallas series. Okay. Yeah. Devin Booker hamstring in the Pelican series threw a huge monkey wrench into that. Luckily they survived because Chris Paul's really good and dragged them through that. They're playing a Mavericks team that Luka Doncic did not play the first three games against the Utah Jazz. Luckily, the Utah Jazz are not good at basketball. And so they somehow couldn't even be up 2-1, much less 3-0. No, they were down 2-1 by the time Luka returned and they were able to close them out in six games. Memphis and Golden State. As of this recording, the last I'd heard is that they don't expect John Morant to play game four because he hurt his knee, that weird play with Jordan Poole. And even if he's playing in game four, I can't imagine he's playing at full strength. A dude who is really relying upon explosive athleticism in a small frame. That's a pretty big monkey wrench into Memphis's plans. And Golden State sitting there on the other side saying, well, yeah, you know who we'd love to have? Gary Payton Jr., who was taken out with a really cheap foul from Dylan Brooks, who was suspended a game for it. And now he's got a fractured elbow. He's not playing for the foreseeable future. Two huge things that these teams are going to have to deal with. And the Heat and the Sixers, they're on the other side of the Eastern bracket and they're waving their hands saying, hey, well, what about us? Uh, Miami, uh, Kyle Lowry, he's just battling this never-ending hamstring injury. He's the new Mike Conley. Jimmy Butler's been in and out and playing in diminished capacity. And Philly's going, well, we have the biggest injury of the playoffs, in my opinion. The biggest freak injury, for sure. Joel Embiid's in with under five minutes to go in game six against Toronto when Philly's up by 30 points. Literally 30 points. And he takes an elbow just on a drive. Again, meaningless play, meaning there's it's garbage time. Pascal Siakam drills him in his eye, fractures his orbital bone. So he's out the first two games of that series. He's coming back wearing the Phantom of the Opera mask, playing in a diminished capacity. He's better in game four. Now it's 2-2. Who knows what's going to happen, but one of these teams is going to lose and one of these teams is going to sit there and say, if we just would have had this player or these players healthy, I feel very confident saying we could have won this. I promise you, that's just how this stuff works. Boston, Milwaukee, same thing. Robert Williams, huge injury thing going into the Brooklyn series in round one. Can they weather the storm without one of their best defensive players, the centerpiece of the middle? They were because Al Horford somehow turned back the clock 10 years and, and, and was phenomenal until Time Lord could come back. And now they're more at full strength. And Milwaukee, who was up 2-1 going into game four, they're saying, you know who we would love to have? One of our three best players, Chris Middleton, who sprained his knee and is not playing in this series. He will not play. They're down one of their three most essential pieces. Now, I bring all this up to say everybody has them. And because of that, injuries, who they are to and when they happen. They will always have their say in who wins the championship. This is an unavoidable aspect of life, okay? So when we talk about it in legacy terms, just always remember this, always make note of this as it's happening and say, ah, maybe I won't hold Philly as accountable if they lose 
because Joel Embiid had to play with a fractured orbital bone and miss games one and two. Or maybe I won't hold Miami's accountable because two of their best players are either not playing or playing in diminished capacity. That's this. It's just this time of year. It's what happens. It's unavoidable again. Now, unfortunately, an unavoidable aspect of the playoffs and one that (laughs) has great consequences as it pertains to legacy is refereeing. Now, this is boring to talk about, so I'm not going to go super in-depth. I, I want to talk about two moments, but it's important to realize refing has an outsized effect on player and team legacy. Two things that I really, really, really like talking about, but I want to make note of it and say, okay, refereeing's boring. Nobody likes to listen to the fan bitch about how their team got screwed out. It's just, all right, whatever. We know there's bad refereeing and it happens every single game. And if you want, you can pluck out 10 things of every game on either side that are just bad. They're just missed calls or missed, or just, just mind-blowing things that a referee does because they're human beings and they make mistakes just like you watch the Utah Jazz play basketball and you go, I don't know why or how any of these players did anything. It's the same concept. But when you realize that, you go, "Uh, okay, we talk about a player like Connor McDavid in a very specific way. Great, awesome, high-level hockey player. But uh, what about him getting swept by Winnipeg last year? What an embarrassment. He's just not as skilled. Well, I would say go and watch that series and ask Connor McDavid how important refereeing can be in defining how we talk about a player. Because in that series, the refs did not call anything. He's getting virtually decapitated and knee on need hit and just blown up in all sorts of illegal manners and no penalties are being called. And it's not to say that that's the reason Winnipeg won, but it's a very different thing than what you would see in the regular season when a referee would just go, oh, you can't hit somebody knee to knee. And in fact, sometimes that's a major penalty and we're kicking you out of the game because that's a very dangerous play and can literally blow out a player's knee. And instead, Conrad David swept and, and it fed the fire that a lot of people like to talk about with him going, oh, well, I mean, not as much of a playoff player as you'd think, huh? You can have all these 120 point regular seasons, but look at him in the playoffs. He's getting swept. I don't necessarily agree with that. On the positive side, ask a player like Dwayne Wade, how important it is to have the refs on your side. His first championship, they win against the Mavericks in 2006. It was just refereeing. It's one of the most crooked, broke down series I've ever watched in my life, especially game five of that series. 2-2, game five's at Dallas. Dwayne Wade himself is shooting 6,000 free throws in that game. It was just boring as hell and not fun to watch and not particularly uh, fair, if you want to say that. And instead, that's how the Miami Heat ended up winning a title. And a lot of people were bitter about that, including all Mavericks fans. And me, just as an impartial observer, was watching it going, eh, I don't feel great about this. But do you know who doesn't care in retrospect? A, Dwayne Wade at the time, but B, just pretty much anybody. Because you look back and you go, oh, that's when Dwayne Wade became Dwayne Wade, won another championship. What a great player. We forget sometimes how things can initially get started. Again, it's not to say that Dwayne Wade would never have been acknowledged as a good player, but referees had an outsized impact in jumpstarting this narrative about Dwayne Wade as a playoff high-level performer that we really saw flourish over the years. There was a lot of truth to that outside of just referee. Now, in these playoffs, I want to concentrate on two incidents. A lot of margin stuff that goes on. We know this. But there are two incidents over the past weekend that stood out to me as my mind was doing the whole shutter reel thing of make note of that, make note of that, make note of that. If this comes back to bite him, make note, make note, make note, make note. And the first incident actually didn't come back to bite him. It, it pertains to my own team. It's from that game two of Colorado and Nashville, which Colorado ends up winning in overtime, really high level hockey game, just a total onslaught from Colorado. Connor Ingram, he's standing on his head, third string goaltender for Nashville, talking about injuries on their side. He's phenomenal in the game, and it seems like he might be able to steal it, and then McCarr scores in overtime. But there's a moment at the start of the third period of game two. Colorado is already down a man. 
They challenged a potential goal, and the ref said, no, Arturi Lekkonen interfered with the goaltender. No goal. And because you challenged and didn't get it wrong in hockey, that's delayed game penalty. So now Colorado is on the penalty kill. Now, right at the start of the third period, the refs decide to call a high stick on Valeri Nachushkin that, via replay, we never saw. There was nothing that ever happened. Jerry Bednar is looking at it, and he gets the crusty face, which, if you know Jerry Bednar, the calmest person in existence, him doing a little bit of a scrunched-up face is akin to John Tortorello throwing a bench onto the ice. It's just him going, that's bullshit, essentially. But the refs decided, for whatever reason, eh, now's the time to, to make a call like this. <laughs> So Colorado's now penalty killing five on three for, I want to say it was about a minute 40. So now I'm making out in my mind, I'm going, this could define this game. This could, I I mean, Nashville's going to score on this. It's five on three hockey for a minute 40. How can they not? They're going to be up two one. Connor Ingram's playing awesome. What if they steal this game? Now it's one, one going back to Nashville. All of the worst case scenarios going through my mind because that's how the brain of a fan works, especially in a sport like hockey that can just get wonky as hell. I'm going, are you serious? How could you make that call? What, what even is the call? Where did it happen? I don't even understand. And luckily, this is just going to be lost into the ether because Colorado has the penalty kill of their life. Again, they have a two-on-one at one point with Kel McCarr. Very bizarre stuff. Who rips it right in the glove of Connor Ingram. They get a little bit lucky because the one great chance that Nashville ends up getting is Philip Forsberg off the post. The margins, uh, the size of a hockey puck sometimes. And it goes into the playoff overtime format, which as a quick aside, I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't felt the playoff overtime rush in a year since Colorado played on the sad side, game five against Vegas on the happy side, game two against Vegas last year in the second round. But I want to make note and say this to everybody that there is literally nothing in sports better than playoff hockey. I want to stamp my name to that. I've been on that corner since I got into hockey. And if I ever need it to be reconfirmed, I just watch the avalanche go into overtime and I go, You will never feel more alive as a sports fan. You just won't. It is incredible. The emotional roller coaster that happens when it's sudden death and the puck is just going back and forth, offensive zone, defensive zone, and the rushes are happening. And at one point you're going, this is it. And you're ready to explode. And then it's going into the defensive side and you're going, this is it. And you're ready to just fall down and die. That is the most pure form of what is attractive to a fan. You will never feel a more climactic moment of joy than when the puck enters the net for your team, like it did with Kel McCarr in game two of Colorado Nashville. And you will never feel lower than when it goes in against you, as it did with Mark Stone in game five last year against Vegas. Swing game of the series that ends up propelling Vegas to a victory over Colorado in that series. It's the best. It just is. Now, that's an an aside. That's me getting on an overtime soapbox. I'm sure I will talk more about that as the playoffs go on. But... For the margins and for refereeing in particular, I want to highlight one more incident. It's the end of Boston and Milwaukee in game three. Series is 1-1, tight, hard-fought game. Milwaukee ends up squeaking it out right at the end to take a 2-1 series lead with, again, game four happening, and we will know the result when you listen to this on Tuesday morning. But the end of this game, Celtics are down three. It's right at the end. Marcus Smart comes peeling off a screen, catches the ball, raises up, He gets fouled, in my opinion, and this is a person who bet on Milwaukee in the game. He very clearly was in the act of shooting. It's a dribble handoff. He's rising to fire around the screen. Drew Holiday's trying to foul him on the ground, but I do not think that that occurred. So what I think should have happened, what I think most people who watch basketball think should have happened, is Marcus Smart should be shooting three free throws with the Celtics down three. He makes all three. It's a tie game. Milwaukee will have one last crack to tie. If not, we're going to overtime. Who knows what's going to happen? Instead, it's two free throws. 
So he makes the first. He has to intentionally miss the second, which leads to a frantic sequence where, oh man, a little miss from Marcus Smart here. Oh, a rattle and roll miss tip from Al Horford. And then what looks like a game tying tip in from Al Horford that as it goes to review, we realize was tipped in a half second too late. Margin stuff, okay? A lot of, lot of that's going in. So now I'm going, oh, I love that I cashed my, my Milwaukee bet. Feel a little bit bad for Boston, but also as it pertains to officiating, in the same game, the other side also has legitimate beef. That's how this stuff works. You always can pluck stuff out. That's kind of why it's boring to listen to one fan harp about how bad officiating is. Because if you watch the game closely and make notes, you go, oh, well, okay, that is true. But let's talk about these other 10 things that went in favor of you. In this game, John Horst, the GM of the Milwaukee Bucks, he's calling the media around after the game and going, well, this was an atrociously rough game against us. And no, I'm mad about what happened down the stretch when, I mean, just first of all, look at the game and Boston doubled up our free throw attempts. They shot 34, Milwaukee shot 17. And more importantly, what he was very mad about and what he wanted the media to know and hear was that the Celtics attempted 17 free throws in the last 16 minutes of the game, 11 of those in the fourth quarter. And during that stretch, the Bucks did not attempt a single free throw. Very outsized discrepancy within that particular framework. So you get a great... You get a great window into the NBA playoffs and actually playoffs in general. Just the weight that refereeing can hold. Let's say they call the Marcus Smart play correctly. He hits the free throws. It goes to overtime. They win there. Milwaukee's sitting there just stewing in their juices saying, no, this is, we were dicked over by the refs. Look at this discrepancy. Look how many free throws they shot down the stretch compared to us. We didn't shoot any in the whole fourth quarter. Look at that game and you understand how tight this stuff can be. You have high level stuff. You have high level stuff. And that's the best part of the playoffs coaching, players performing. I mean, that series has great stuff going on with Giannis. Tatum was atrocious in game three, but I trust he will be able to bounce back. But you just have a lot of high-level players in that series. Drew Holiday's doing his stuff. Al Horford's just hit the hit the button from 2012 that he used to tap into and has found it again 10 years later. Milwaukee, they got injuries. The injury of the series. It's Chris Middleton, he's not there. Okay, that within the game three, if you're talking about margins, you go, okay, this is a 1-1 series. It's a tight back and forth affair. No Middleton, yeah, okay, great. Injuries are having a say. Okay, referee stuff that, hey, if you're Milwaukee, you're saying it was against us, despite the fact that this Marcus Smart call was maybe missed. If you're Boston, you're saying, just call the Marcus Smart play. That's atrocious that you missed that. There's a great basketball play from Al Horford that comes a fraction of a second too late. First tip missed. Second tip, oh, looks like it's good. No, nope, just barely too late. All of this stuff, I mean... This is everything that I talk about as a sports fan. The legacy defining stuff, but also that game, game three of that series is a perfect encapsulation of the playoffs. It just is. Tight, high intensity stuff, legacy defining that in the end boils down to the margins. Thank you for listening to the Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. My free newsletter is coming out tomorrow morning. It comes out every Wednesday. If you've not signed up for it, you sure as hell should go to chrisrawl.com, click the subscribe button and put your email into it. And every Wednesday, I will send you a nice little tidbit, nice little word salad. I'll bring light and joy into your day. Now, go and do that. Enjoy the playoffs. I will be back here to talk Friday about presumably more margin stuff. Until then.